Brothers Book Club Podcast. I'm Travis. I'm sick and I'm in recovery. I'm nasally this week, which is exciting. You get a new sound, new audio uh, experience coming through your headphones or your speakers. Ryan's with me. In 100% full health. And That's uh, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm proud of you for, for showing up to work. Well, you can't stop the pod, nor can you stop the relentless pace of ancient literature especially poems and especially if those poems are from tang dynasty china both are freight trains that are on an unstoppable track i'm marching to the drummer's beat of the uh, military regiment i think that was in one of the poems i'm pretty sure that's that's a poll from one of these i don't remember which one tied that in really nicely page six marching song that's the beat I'm marching to, and uh, we'll see if the listeners appreciate it or not. Um, what, what a lead-in! That might be the best lead-in of the of the pot so far. It's. I mean, I'm in a you know not a lucid state, so I'm not in a mindset to agree or disagree with you. But I'm going to roll with it for now. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's let's dive right in. If uh, it hasn't been made obvious yet, today we are back with a review of another. Penguin Classic, the March, I guess. I mean, I can't drop the metaphor now. Uh, The March continues through the classics. We're on our ninth one. This is a collection of three Tang Dynasty poets. The cover reads, Pastoral, lyrical verse evoking the rural landscapes and peoples of 8th century China from three of its finest poets, uh, whose names we'll get to, I'm sure, uh, shortly. Uh, And so it's a 55-ish page collection of poetry, and we're here to review it. We're gonna break it all down, each poem by poem. Well, let's uh, let's keep with our traditions and start with our quick reviews. Ryan, what's your quick review of this poetry collection? Uh, I after the after the Wailing Ghosts, the Pusong Ling, which I think was two books ago, um, was kind of looking forward to see if this would be any livelier. Or I think we were talking a little bit about theme that episode and how it had none. I felt like this was pretty cohesive and pretty, uh, it, it, the, the three poets and their kind of like personal styles I thought worked well and complemented each other nicely. And it, it felt like, uh, a couple of different themes going on throughout a lot of nature stuff, a lot of going home type stuff, <laughs> a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of war type stuff. Actually, I don't know. Not maybe not a ton of war, but um, yeah, I don't know. I got a I got a nice earthy uh, thematic feel. That is the best, yeah, wine tasting review of these poems that you could possibly lend. I think it's very very earthy. A lot of earth notes and tones. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of rivers and earth and like peach peach trees. Compared to the Pusong Ling collection, um, th- I agree that this was thematically more consistent, maybe to a fault. You know, I don't want to rate this guy uh, quite yet, this collection yet, but uh, you're going to get a lot of green hills and blue streams, mm-hmm. lots of nature imagery, and the, the senses will be overcome by nature details. And yeah, yearning uh, and yearning for home is another 
kind of through line. They curated these, I think, pretty carefully. That much is mm-hmm. clear, yeah. just in terms of themes and ideas that recur. And so, yeah, no, I completely agree with that assessment. It's it's pretty slight. Is my was my takeaway certainly hurt and pain and nostalgia have been done. I think more forcefully, but there's something to be said for poems of subtlety. And these have, I would say mo- for the most part, a kind of subtlety about them, which, oh, you know, yeah. is nice. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's some tears being shed. There's, um, there's some, there's some longing. There's uh yeah, there's plenty of that. I think if you want poetry on with a more brutal sense of loss, um, the ancient is this ancient i guess 700s ancientish um the chinese poetry here does not do the work of let's say some world war one poetry if you wanted a more kind of nihilistic view of loss and uh separation Mm. i think that you could go stronger these these do come across as a eh, softer but it's there that's i agree thematically it felt linked yeah, and there's a I think softer is a nice way to put it. It's a it's very like it reads very delicately, I think I think. And like the it reads kind of soft even in the ones that are like a little bit more on the um like emotional side or, you know, that type of thing, but yeah, it just uh just kind of floats on down the river very gently. Right. Do you have a quote that is emblematic of the style here? Do you have a quote that's representative, oh, you think? Man. Um, let's see. I pulled a few. Um, some, let's see. I did pull one. There was a lot of stuff about fishing, a lot of river stuff. And I was, <laughs> I pulled the quote that I could, that I could have seen like in someone's cabin or lake house or something, you know, and you like walk in and there's like mm-hmm. a, there's like a, antique like faux weathered hand painted sign seems like could be could be fairly weathered or authentically weathered but uh yeah no i know the type yeah there's a uh there's a quote on page seven that i could see in someone's house it was like i've always been a lover of tranquility and when i see this clear stream so calm i want to stay on some great rock and fish forever on and on pretty solid that's a great justification for owning a lake house or a lake property yeah on the river or <laughs> you know right, it's like you right. know the you know the type freshwater property yeah but uh i don't know i guess the the water and like the a lot of like i think the river was a really common theme i think one maybe the most prevalent one that stuck out to me um Seems like a lot of a lot of stories had to do with people sitting on the bank of a river, floating down the river, going somewhere, fishing on a river. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that one was nice, and I thought it wasn't as Pinteresty, but I did visualize it in a very specific place, and that's like a yeah, it's like your friend's parents' cabin. Lake I think, well, I think this, uh, it's a good analogy. A person reading these now might find that the connection they make with these poems is itself a yearning to go to whatever their childhood getaway, vacation, mm. you know, lake or river spot cabin type setting would be. Yeah. Um, 
And I, the act of reading these itself did kind of feel like fishing sometimes. You have to be a little patient with the poems. And I, I didn't find it to be... I mean, I guess that's the thing about fishing though, right? Is that people find the waiting rewarding, not the catch. The catch is not the most rewarding part of fishing, I think. That's what I assume about mm. fishing because I find it awful. I don't understand why anyone would do it. But <laughs> I, I would hope... It, when I can't... I have to assume hunting is kind of similar where the right. active weight, the patience aspect has to be a beloved or respected part. Otherwise, what are you doing? The ratio is very off. You know, you're yeah. not, the ratio They're, of waiting to action is, uh, skews heavily in the, for the waiting. So yeah. there's gotta be a kind of serenity in it. Yeah. I I would totally agree. And I think this dude's, I think this was the first poet, Wang Wei, mm-hmm. but they also every poet had two names in here. I don't know what that's about. It could be a pronunciation thing, but I this mm-hmm. one I didn't even drop any Wikipedia pages at all. No background today. No research. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're going in blind. Yeah, we'll do our best with the names. We always try. Yeah, um, but the yeah the first one, um, you know, he that the tranquility thing came up a lot, and I think he was just like. Man, when I see a river like this, I just want to sit and just stay and just chill for for a long time, forever. Yeah, yeah. I I did pick another Pinterest quote. I where I'm getting back into the uh, the peddling of those quotes for anyone out there curating your board based on my really bad recommendations. Here's another. This one's pretty short too. Also, I, f- I do feel like this quote kind of has not, maybe not an inverse in it, but there's a tweak you could make to make it, I think, a better Pinterest quote for your home. Anyway, the quote is, talk, laughter, never a time to go home, which was the final line of a poem about meeting up with someone, kind of like a stranger occurrence where you just think, oh, you know, I'm talking and laughing and I want to stay here and have this chat. I want to hang out with you. And I, the never a time to go home part of that quote makes sense in the context because the person's already out and about and they just met someone new. Mm-hmm. You could change the quote though to say never a time to leave home, implying like our home has such talk and laughter and joy that uh, we, I just want to be here at home all the time. So there, you know, you could tweak that one to your needs. There's a lot of malleability here in this eighth-century uh, Chinese literature, folks. Yeah, yeah. There's a, uh, there's just a lot to, uh, a lot to process there, and it kind of reminds me of like the "Live, Laugh, Love," the the maybe the most infamous Pinterest quote of all time. Oh, it's so true. And this this one is really on the edge of that. Yeah, you're completely. That's a hundred percent correct. I hadn't thought of that. Oh yeah, I think it's just uh, it's the talk. It's the talk laughter part. I feel like there's those. Oh, now I'm gonna have to go on Pinterest and look them up. But they're like, you know, it's like our house is like filled with three things: mm-hmm. talk, laughter, and something happiness or joy or something. Beer, weed, and Trader Joe's mac and cheese. <laughs> right. What, what else is Trader Joe's? What, what is their frozen dish of? Uh, what's their frozen entree of choice? Frozen entree, their, their of signature frozen oh, entree. Man, um, signature frozen entree. Oh, what do we usually get? Some we get a uh, a lasagna that's pretty good, and there's another mm. thing. Oh, uh, the chicken piccata. I don't think it's frozen. 
but it's oh. one of those things where the chicken is just cooked already and you just basically bring it home and heat it up. Right. You or you don't have to heat it up depending on your shame level. That, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, if you want to if you want to like cook it in the sauce or I don't know. Yeah, that could also just be like a total room temp. Only a psychopath would uh would do that. I turned a, a person I was talking to the other day onto um this is something I've never even really I think I ate it one time and was so stunned by that it its existence that I never bought it or ate it again. But they make a, a kind of a peanut buttery type consistency thing, but it's like nut I think it's called oh gosh, sucralose no, not sucralose, that's like a chemical. Um, it's essentially though, it is a peanut butter texture and consistency, but it tastes mm-hmm. like sugar cookies is the only way to describe it. So what? it's, it's spreadable. It's a spreadable, I uh, call it a paste or like a, or a butter of type, a is butter like type a, thing. Is it like a cookie dough? No, no, no. Cause like you can eggs? spread it. You You can spread it. And mm-hmm. so it's, but it essentially tastes like sugar cookie. So you it's can like dump- a spreadable cookie dough. Kind of, yeah. Although I think it's put in, it's in the like butter section, like peanut butter, almond butter section. It just has a different name. Apparently, it's popular in Europe or, or something. And anyway, I had somebody showed it to me years ago, and I was so blown away that it existed. I think it's popular for dunking things in or using. I don't think people actually put it on toast. I, I guess you could. That be, I could see that being like a big thing for like kids. You know, like there are some kids who just want to eat everything sweet. And maybe it's like the healthy option to like. Oh, uh, I don't know if it's a healthy option. I don't think that, I don't <laughs> think it's a healthy option at all. I don't have the I don't have the nutritional facts in front of me. But man, I I'd be surprised if it were a healthy option. Um, yeah. No, it was. Uh, I, I think it's one of those Trader Joe's only um, oddity items, or uh, kind of. I guess Trader Joe's does pretty well bringing in non-American, uh, you know, international items, trying to make True. them little more mainstream i think this is a european thing true well now i'm gonna have to go and check that out look it out seek it yeah uh in the meantime uh here's another i got another quote i can set up i thought i mean a lot of the this collection was understated like we had sort of said i um this is tipping at my review a little but i had to read a lot of this or finish most of it when i was still pretty sick and it just, it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't strong enough to break through the barrier of my hazy mind. And just actually, I, when I was reading it, I thought this is not intriguing enough for me to put forth the mental energy and fight my illness to like really care about this mm-hmm. anyway. But when I went back over it with a clearer mind and sort of read it, it has some kind of slight, this quote I thought was kind of ominous in a way. And I thought it was a, a good ending uh, four lines to a poem. It says, mm-hmm. A message arrives from the headquarters. The Huns have surrounded Chushuan. The frontier passes are all flying snow. Beacons are out, no smoke. The last line, the beacons are out, comma, no smoke, I think is an extremely cutting and effective uh, just sense of, I don't know, it's an ominous line. I know I already said that, but mm-hmm. it's just kind of a chilling little thing. And I also like the phrase, passes are all flying snow. Mm-hmm. I guess in a sense that's kind of a metaphor to a degree, but I thought those last two lines were just chilling in a way that was understated. And I think as a style kind of stylistic quote, it's representative in a sense too. Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree. I, there was, it's funny. Cause when you said there was, there's some real subtle 
parts to some of these poems. And I actually pulled one that had basically the same effect from uh, just what the page before that on 12. It's the return to Mount Sung. And it says, like the last two sentences caught me. And it was uh, after a long journey at the foot of Mount Sung, I have come home and shut my door. I really like that. That was mm. like a, I don't know, that resounded uh, to me like, yeah, like he, he really made it. Like he's, it's like he's been gone forever. It's like the door's shut, man. You made it. I just really right. like that. Yeah, yeah. A, a literal it's, closing. Yeah, finality to it. Right, right, yeah. Nothing more final than the sound of a closing door. That's one of the great subtle human intimidation sounds. True. Yeah, very true. I read a book. I finished a book last weekend. Um, if you folks are looking for other recommendations, we don't do them on this podcast that often. We should do more because um, I know both of us are reading other things. But I finally read a Sally Rooney novel. She's an up-and-coming novelist from Ireland who's gotten a lot of kind of praise for her writing. And I read her first novel this weekend, and she does a lot in that book. Um, I think the book was called Conversations with Friends. That's what it was called. And there's a lot in that book with uh, – a lot of door work, a lot of, a lot of doors, sometimes slamming, sometimes <laughs> creaking open. Sometimes it wasn't, it didn't drop that. It was a, kind of a slight motif, but yeah, yeah there's, there's, a, there's a meaning in a door closure. I mean, that's. Yeah. Well, it's been around since the beginning of time. Also, before I forget, and before we're too far from the tangent, I when you were talking, I did look up the Trader Joe's product. Oh, man. It is called it? Specu... So, I was actually not that far off with whatever I said, sucrose or whatever. It's called mm-hmm. Speculose, although it might be pronounced Speculoose, because I think the word is from uh, Belgian or something, but right. it's called cookie butter, which, yeah, it has the consistency of a nut butter, but it's just like supposed to taste like cookies. And apparently it's made from speculoose or Lowe's cookies, uh, which mm. are crunchy shortbread spice biscuits from the Netherlands and Belgium and have mm. kind of a gingerbread taste. I don't remember them tasting like gingerbread, but I remember them tasting more like a just a sugary cookie taste. Maybe that's the Trader Joe's like American version. Yeah, they may have toned down the, the spice part. Um, so anyway, speculoose. Yeah, <laughs> speculoos. Or speculo. I think it's supposed to be Los, honestly. There's a there's one here that has the double A, speculos. Or speculase. Oh, okay. Oh, man. They're also, according to this Bon Appetit article, pretty similar to the Biscoff uh, cracker cookies you get on airplanes. Oh, okay. But it, they turn that into a butter into a spreadable butter. Trader Joe's has crunchy kind and with a kind with a chocolate swirl in it. I don't remember which Whoa. of those I had. Whoa. As far as something that I would just eat out of the jar, it was it's far better than peanut butter or almond butter, both of which I think are good. But I, I again can't imagine spreading this onto bread and then feeling good about eating that. I don't know why. <laughs> I, at least with the nut butters, you get a, a hint of there's like, oh, I know this has fiber or a nutrient I need, or you know, yeah. Th- this is I think more shameless. This is too like sugary. Or it seems like it would seem sugar, butter. Yeah, nah. I think that would be that'd be too bizarre. But then, what would you eat it with? I dunk whatever you want and put it with ice cream. Put it 
on a ice cream makes sense bake it into something bake it into a pie or pie crust mm. or i don't know i mean honestly anything that you'd want to use peanut butter for for a dessert aspect you could use this bingo yeah i think i have a new idea for the pod segment and it could be how do we tie in like a trader joe's signature item to a character or portion of the story we, uh, we're talking about. We, need to, we need to get this pitch stronger and in an email we need to get it because i'll i'll happily sell out no question we'll just, and we'll i could easily work out. there's a trader joe's five minutes from where i live i could be there every week finding a, pro- a product to you know pitch in the uh, in the podcast oh, just get well, in touch with us We'll just have to, yeah, Trader Joe's sponsor the pod. Right. We are going to have to discuss this and come back to you maybe next week, but this is a food podcast now. And yeah, sorry. Brooks, <laughs> this is a Trader Joe's product review podcast yeah. only, and you can come back for some literary uh, jargon, but we're mostly talking about frozen frozen food and uh, cookie butter. And the best part of this podcast is that we research live on air. You get to listen to us research and plan, which I know just is everyone's talk, favorite part of the about, podcast. Yeah, just talk about short crust biscuits from other countries and spreading them on different types of food. In the, mean, baking them. in the meantime, I've got a quote to sum up the conversation that we're having right now. And I wrote it under the quote that would be would have been the best tweet of the 700s. <laughs> Life's failures and regrets frosting my temples and wretched that I've had to give up drinking. Mm. I really like the frosting my temples. Uh, what would you call that? Like a an out? Al- no, not an analogy. Like a not a visual either. Well, it's sort of an implicit metaphor. Because you're comparing Mm, the failure and regret to a frost or a freezing air. Yeah. It's not a, Mm. it's not a a human comparison, so we can't go there. Um, Yeah. It's kind of an implied metaphor. It's also just sort of imagery. I mean, it's, you know, it's nature imagery again. That's what these poets seem to trade in the most. I I love that the last, well, the last line actually is to give up drinking. And so Mm -hmm. those two lines split really well, which uh, I believe is called an enjambment. I remember that term. Um, That's Mm -hmm. when the line continues with no pause anyway. And so, and wretched that I've had is the first line, which, you know, does leave you wondering what they've had to do that was so wretched. And then it's just to give up drinking. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, it reminds me of those, it's like i don't i can't pull like a specific example but it's like man i picked a terrible time to give up drinking right right dude a simple regret that can have you know long-lasting impacts yeah for better or for worse yeah yeah true any final quotes before we move on to some author to author talk yeah there's one last one that i think i just have to say or i just have to read it's like basically two or three sentences but it's the one it's the one that i think stuck out the most hmm. uh, to me and it's titled drinking with a gentleman of leisure in the mountains so already i feel like title spot on 10 out of 10 uh, and then it says we both have drunk their birth the mountain flowers a toast a toast a toast again another i am drunk long to sleep sir go a little Bring your loot, if you like, early tomorrow, exclamation point. 
Oh like, yeah, man, that's that's a good one. We we got wasted. I'm gonna go to bed, but come back tomorrow. Bring that loot. Right. I know you. Got, I know you got that loot. I think there's. Is there anything more just innately human and hopeful than making plans when you're drunk and then probably not following through on them? I mean, in the yeah, most hopeful scenario, <laughs> bring the loot. First thing this guy thinks about when he wakes up in the morning is like, man, I really hope that guy doesn't remember to come over today, and I really hope he doesn't bring that loot. I feel awful. <laughs> the last thing I want to do right now is sit in my family room and listen to him play this loot for <laughs> It's an awesome idea at 3 o'clock in the morning, but it's the worst idea at 10 a.m. the next day. Yeah, that's those things can come back to haunt you, those kinds of hopeful plans. Yeah, you don't want that gentleman of leisure to uh, to make his way back in your direction with his loot. No. That's like, you know, on Sunday. It's no. The worst. No. <laughs> For me, it would be maybe a ukulele. I mean, loots, I have no specific... I have no specific qualm with a lewd, but maybe I, you know, I could see being intrigued by a ukulele when I was really drunk and then in the morning thinking, I didn't really care about that ukulele. Yeah, I <laughs> I didn't care about that or that uh, gentleman in leisure at all. A late night curiosity. Well, hey, let's uh, shift to the author to author section. Before we do, though, here's a literary dictionary interjection. I've been I was just thumbing through to see if I had enjambment right. It yeah, kind of I was going to ask you to look that up. Yeah, I pulled it in my Penguin uh, Literary Dictionary. It is when Bingo. you run from one line beyond to the second, but it I believe by this definition has to be a couplet. So it has to be a rhyming couplet, mm. um, which I didn't – I don't know if that – that's a more specific definition than I expected, but I, I could see that being true. Uh, and what's it called? Enjambment? Enjambment, yeah, with an E-N – Spelled from there. Mm. Yeah. And I good with the uh, spreadable speculus. Perhaps. Yeah. Let's get some jam (laughs) and speculus going. (laughs) Oh, man. I just don't have the energy to connect that and segue out of that. I'm just not there this week. Um, Yeah. That was that was probably perhaps a bit too far, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's like. Got to take advantage of this uh, zened out state that you're in. Right. This, uh, this episode. Yeah, as I think is appropriate. Um, what did you think for author to author connections? I can kick this off, I suppose. This is the segment when we take the previous reading and then connect it to this reading. Connection being a broad term in any manner we see fit, any connection that's mm-hmm. relevant. Mm-hmm. And last we read was Jonathan Swift. And I. If he had a, as a sincere yearning or longing, especially a nostalgic one, it did. He did not express it in the collections we found, nor could I remember. No. He no, like he's fiery. Know. He would not be so calm and so <laughs> at one at at a wonder with nature. You know, he's more likely yeah. to write his poem about the stink of the shit in Dublin and how he, you can differentiate different neighborhoods by their excrement smell than you would be <laughs> to wonder at the river flow and the the Actually, blues. Yeah, that's really funny. I just thought that, yeah, take whatever river that uh, these poets are talking about, and Jonathan Swift will tell you that that river is full of shit and piss. Of course. (laughs) And that it is, and that it may never be fixed because it's the system is broken. Right. There's no government. (laughs) There's no. (laughs) Yeah, and he probably even knows whose shit is 
filling up the river. You know, the one thing I thought that recurred enough in the poems that I thought maybe Swift could take a crack at, or maybe he did in his life in an essay or something that I couldn't remember, would be some kind of military critique. Because a lot of the in the in these poems, when the people are leaving home, it's because they either have to go take a bureaucratic job or do some kind of career advancement in the government or military, mm-hmm. something similar. I thought maybe mm-hmm. Swift would take a crack at that satire. Um, though I don't remember those specific criticisms. A lot of his was economic stuff. Yeah, I could. Yeah, it seemed like a lot of these dealt with someone either, like you said, leaving his parents to go so they can survive or do, you know, this or coming home from this duty or this battle or whatever. Uh, I feel like Swift never really left ireland like did he travel he did actually extensively in england a, i remember a well, that, well-traveled guy yeah, and that well um, no no no, not in terms of the world but in terms of england yeah so he would travel you know across the continent not even the continent that or i can recall Irish. yeah oh well uh yeah okay yeah it seems like yeah there's no nostalgia there and i feel like all of these poems are all kind of pretty heavy and like nostalgia and um yeah i thought it didn't really it, it was it was more of a stretch uh mm-hmm. maybe maybe not as much as some of the other author to authors but i thought this had a ton of uh things in common with the wailing ghosts the pusong ling short stories in what um, ways so then i had to look them up and see so these dudes were writing in 7th and 8th century China Pusong Ling was about a thousand years later in like 18th century 17th 18th and there was one story in particular I think it was one of the last poets uh, and I have to say his name because I thought it was awesome it's um, Tu Fu but then in parentheses parentheses, Du Fu it could just be a pronunciation, I think. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but it's actually the last story in the book. And I found that it had that same like finality to it where it's like, man, this guy goes on this epic journey, discovers these things, these fantastic things happen to him. And then he disappeared and no, no one knows what happened. That's it end of story right it's like the they really love to just drop that like two or three sentence bomb at the end and be like and no one ever figured it out nothing <laughs> like no one no one knows where he went no one knows what happened that's just that's just it yeah the if you hadn't learned the lesson by now well then it's too late it's over yeah that's um so i guess you know that was one thing so i remember we were talking a little bit about that with some of those stories, it's like, well, that guy saw this incredible monster and fought him for two nights in a row, and then no one ever saw the monster again. That was it. <laughs> and that's, and you know what? You'll never hear of it again. And, that, <laughs> and that's the last time we're ever going to talk about it. Yeah, monster stories are done now. That's that's the final one. It does, yeah, have that finality about it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. see a lot of connection to the Pusong Ling. I'd have to reread those. I he didn't Pusong Ling didn't ha- he had a lot of absurdist stuff in there. There wasn't a ton of nature. There was a, yeah, in, I mean, a lot of 
fantasy stuff. You know what, though? Now that you say it, there's one extremely relevant connection. He had a story about a man who fell his way into a grotto and then fell in love and like lived in a paradise land and nature with the, those, that woman. And then there's a poem. There's two poems in here that are pretty much identical to that where a person loses their way in the forest and finds a hidden community living in peace and nature. Yeah, that was the, um, that was the story I was just talking about the story of the peach blossom spring. Right. That guy, yeah, is a fisherman who just yeah discovers his village and changes his whole life, and then yeah, so yeah, super similar. That yeah, that is an incredibly strong connection. I if you were describing that, I'm sorry, I must have been spacing out more than I realized. I thought I thought you were describing something different, but no, yeah, that's a great connection. Yeah, chalk it up to the old uh, to the old hazy brain here. Well, let's the old hazy brain. yeah, let's. Uh, Let's conclude with some ratings. We always do. We end on our three-point system in its perfect simplicity. One means don't read this. Three means definitely read it. Two is a qualified recommendation. So, Ryan, what do you have? Mm. I enjoyed these enough to um, to give it a two. I think it's some, if you're really kind of seeking out like poetry from that time or you know the period like the dynasties or something are a certain interest to you or you're like a big I'm trying to think like a like a nature I don't know yeah I think it's a two it, a lot of good stuff in here but not enough to be like you have to go and pick this up and read it I tried thinking because there are three authors in the collection. I tried thinking of mm. whether I'd give one of them a three or one a one or anything. I think I would yeah. give the the um, final author who wrote just much lengthier things. My inclination mm-hmm. was to give him a one, but then mm. it'd have two of my favorites. So I think a two across the board is exactly where I landed. I think, yeah, I as I I guess described earlier, I had a extremely difficult time reading these when I was sick, just could not hold my attention for more than a word. Um, but they did I, interest me when I went back and looked over some of them and kind of looked at them and marked them and reread them. So they certainly have merit. I think they're interesting as the cover described in pastorals. And most of them are that sort of these mm-hmm. nature romances, these uh, loving looks at yeah. serenity in nature. Uh, so if you're looking for that, I think these are actually would hold up pretty well. And, I, in the end, I suppose the diversity of the collection, you see three different writers, actually kind of works for it. If you can find them all together or, you know, maybe some other Chinese poets from whatever dynasty, it seems like it would be worthwhile. A two seems fair. I didn't, mm-hmm. there, But there was enough kind of meandering, dull lines that I can't fully say you have to find. Yeah. That. Yeah. And I, I was yeah just going to say that a lot of the dynasty specific like era specific references and things like that obviously i don't know anything about it and those those things kind of flew over but there's a lot to appreciate i think um like face value with these yeah i think we'll have to start coming up with a new line of criticism other than although i think for what we're doing here this project is probably the most relevant thing we can bring to bear which is are there too many references so that you would not understand this at all do you have to do you have to take an an afternoon to just research the context to start this which 
I feel like that is a real barrier for people who want to read. I don't know, just get a sense of some kind of read canon of literature. Twenty nineteen, yeah. Or yeah, just pick up and pick up and go. Make it quick. Make it yeah. you know relatable. So maybe we won't drop that line of criticism, but we have said that about a lot of these. Which is, you know, if you're willing to do the work, this one I actually. I think there's enough here where you wouldn't have to say, oh, I know who that emperor is, or I know that person's name or that river's name. I just thought on the merits of its aesthetics or something, even then the poems, I didn't think were, you know, so staggeringly good or anything, but you know, they had enough. I I thought it was moments were intriguing. Don't read this when you're sick. That's probably true for any poem or any (laughs) poetry. It's just not worth it. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. It hurts. um, I can, yeah, I can sympathize. All right. Uh, next week, Ryan, you want to give them a preview and close us out? What are we doing next week? Yeah, next week we have uh, a, let's see. Oh, Walt Whitman it's another, on the beach at night alone. Another poetry collection. Man, we're slamming on the poetry. Just cruising. Well, we're going in the order they've established for us, which... Uh, this this one two punch might be I don't think it's going to break us but actually I don't know my my opinion on women has maybe turned over the years so I'll be intrigued to read this. Hmm. Okay. I know nothing about him. Oh wow! You never had to read Walt Whitman. This will be fascinating then. So. Okay. <laughs> He's like a, the quintessential American poet. Bingo. I mean, sounds pretty quintessential American. Yeah. I mean, they, I like they, the, I like the uh, I like the title. Yeah, that's one of the poem titles. He he wrote uh, "Blades of Grass," "Song of Myself" was his big. Anyway, he, he like he his poetry is the kind of stuff you've seen. I've seen in like Levi ads. Like that's the kind of Americana mm-hmm. that he yeah. <laughs> inspires. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, yeah, that's that's something to look forward to. Or leaves of grass. I thought it was blades of grass. It's leaves of grass. Anyway. Uh, tune in next week folks you'll find out a lot more about Walt Whitman maybe I'll bring up his Wikipedia page and enlighten you on what transcendentalism is until then and yeah we will uh, see you between the classics